the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Very excited to be with you as we finally can put the 2020-2021 coaching carousel to bed. And so we're going to do it with a little bit of a breakdown, a little bit of a review, and of course our grades for each and every hire in total. We have 15 of them. Seven of them came from the Power Five. Eight of them came from the Group of Five. We are going to at least give a grade and a comment for each and every one of these. It was a, an extensive uh, coaching season as uh, you know we began you know, all the way back with Southern Miss, right? That's where this thing started in earnest back in like week two three. or th- yeah, week three. Where uh, Jay Hobson leaves, and then the interim coach then also leaves. Uh, but uh, but we will get to uh, to that. Southern Miss, of course, Will Hall, former Tulane offensive coordinator, is actually the hire there. We will get to that one in, in a little bit. The like without without spending too too much time on, on the big picture things, I do think there is one big picture question, which is: Were you surprised at all in totality? with the the coaching moves that were made because it was posited in the offseason heading into the year that because of the pandemic and because of uh you know everything that was going on within college football either coaches might get a pass or because of financial constraints within college athletics as a whole it might not be feasible to make a move on a coach and there might be some coaches who did end up maintaining their position for some of those reasons. But uh, I think that especially when we see four jobs change hands in the SEC, uh, again, seven of them at the Power Five level, you could also argue that it was it was no impact at all. <laughs> Nobody was concerned about uh, COVID because if you pass the hat around and there's enough money in there, well, hey, guess what? Now we can afford a buyout. So we're any sub surprised at all uh, as it broke down or, or do you feel like you learned anything or any notes from a coaching carousel in a season that has been unlike any other in college football i would say that there was some surprise and there was some stuff that i wasn't surprised about in that going into the season i was one of the people saying i don't think there'll be too much movement this year in the coaching carousel I, but that was just clearly me being naive but i thought that with like the lack of you know the revenue drop this year, I thought, and just the conditions and situation, I thought maybe some schools would be lenient. So I was surprised that we even saw 15 jobs change. What wasn't surprising is that over a quarter of those changes took place in the SEC. Because I figured if there was a conference that was going to say, yeah, we don't care. 
We'll soldier through. We've got the money. Oh, yeah. We've got people willing to pay to get these guys out and get the guys in. It would be the SECs. The fact that they had four of the 15 changes and four of the seven power five changes, that was not a surprise. So I I think Tom's exactly right there. I mean, I think when the whole COVID thing started, we we're like, oh, I don't know how many teams are actually going to you know make changes. Uh, but you got to remember the you know, the stock market does not always indicate what the economy is doing, uh, but the people who are paying the buyouts, specifically like the boosters you hit up to pay those buyouts are heavily in the stock market and the stock market has been awesome. So they're like, yeah, cool. We, we, we got 30 million for Gus or, or, or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Also, how, how many actual, you know, firings were there? I think what, 12 of these were, were firings and, and, and three were, were folks who like were a domino away. effect. Yeah, what one guy retired. So, I mean, of actual buyouts paid to fire a coach, I think we're at like eleven or twelve here, um, and that's that's about ten percent of jobs changing place in college football. It doesn't seem uh, it actually seems less than we normally have. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was still down. It just wasn't quite as down as maybe we thought it was going to be. Yeah, our average I think is like twenty one, twenty two. Something yeah. like like the really busy years get up to 25 or so, but for it to be 15 it is without a doubt uh, a little bit less. Okay, uh, I've got these organized by conference more or less, but I want to begin uh, with Steve Sarkeesian's hire at Texas. Fascinating because of sort of the way it broke down, the timing. Not that the timing was confusing, it was the timing of the fire in the hire that uh, as soon as the college football playoff semifinals, the Rose Bowl's done, Alabama's on to the national championship game, the next day, that Sunday, uh, not that Sunday, January 2nd, um, we get the news that Tom Herman is out as Texas's coach. It's like, wow, why would you, why would you wait until till now? We had the vote of confidence. But the reason that you waited until now is because you had to wait until Steve Sarkeesian was available. And so... Fire Tom Herman, hire Steve Sarkeesian. The whole thing is wrapped up in about you know four hours, maybe even even on an official uh, level. So we can give it a love it, we can give it a like it, and we can give it a don't get it. We're borrowing this, Bud. Thanks, of course, uh, from Barton and Bud, and uh, and of course we'll have some elaboration within it, uh, Bud. Since since you introduced the grading system, Steve Sarkeesian's hire at Texas. As the hire, uh, what kind of grade did you give it? So on the, you know, love it, get it, don't get it scale, or are we going love it, get it, don't get it, or love it, like it, don't get it? Ooh, I've I got, like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Yeah, I I, I think love it, like it, don't get it. Because a like it has to be positive. I, I'll introduce a get it that's sort of between a like it and don't get it. You know, where I, okay. I, I might not like it, but it's like, eh, okay, I, 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 I see what you're doing. I did not stick to the trio, so. <laughs> All right, I, I'm going to give it a, a get it, right? Uh, in order for me to, to give it a, a love it, it needs to be your school went out and got like the obvious no doubt candidate that there are really clear reasons why he is so much better than everybody else. Like the guy Texas just fired in Tom Herman, right? Like why, why he's a perfect fit. And we, we went over that, I think, in a prior podcast. So I'm, I'm going to give this a get it. Uh, I, I think there are clearly things that people who have worked with Steve Sarkeesian really like about him. Um, that maybe we can't even see from the outside. And what we can see from the outside are, are very positive things as far as you know, his ability to work with that offense, to be creative. Um, I think he's a solid recruiter. You know, but yet he also had Alabama's players, right? And I mean, a lot of guys have produced very similar results with Alabama's level players you know, who didn't turn out to be great head coaches. Jim McElwain did it, right? I mean, Lane Kiffin, we'll see how he does at 
at Ole Miss. Like they, they've had a lot of offense coordinators there through Bama uh, with Nick Saban's players who have gone on and not been home run. So I'm going to give it, and I get it. I think it's a solid move. Um, is it a major upgrade from Tom Herman? I think like end of, end of career Tom Herman at Texas, yes. But, uh, you know, like, do I like this move better than the move when they, when they went to get Tom Herman? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that same area. I'm, I'm, my grade for this is neutral. I, I don't know if it's an odd, like what you were saying. I don't think this is like an obvious improvement over what you had. I feel like this is kind of just like a the same horse of a different color kind of situation. It's just Sark's a little, Sark just got, just got a wash. His mane is a little more lustrous right now than Tom Herman's is. But I, I look at the situation, it's like, yeah, he put together a very good offense at Alabama. And it was a very, it's simple is probably the wrong word, but it was kind of a simple, very effective, very dangerous offense. And it was run with tremendous personnel that made it look terrific. And if he could bring that to Texas and he could bring, not, he's, you're not going to get that same tech, Alabama level of personnel, but if you could at least increase the talent level there and maybe have one of the more talented teams in the big 12 and, you know, top 10 in the country kind of talent. And you put it in that offense, maybe it works out just as well for you there. But I just don't think this is the clear, obvious upgrade over what you already had. And also just concerns off the field stuff. Like we, we've spent a whole lot of time talking about the Texas job and how much more goes into it than just being a football coach. And Danny has said, he's told us, you know, Steve has that kind of politician type personality to where he can schmooze and be the guy in the room. That's, you know, making everybody feel important and making everybody feel happy. It's just, we can't, or at least I can't look past the fact of why Steve Sarkeesian left USC. What was going on in that situation now he's stepping into a very high pressure job in which he's going to have to be spending a lot of time schmoozing with boosters and fair or not to me, that is a legitimate concern about the fit for him in this job. So can I push back real quick before chip goes? Cause I, I do think this is an upgrade over what they had in Tom Herman. I just don't know. This is a better hire at the time of hire mm-hmm. than it was over Tom Herman, like coaching searches are, are crapshoots. I mean, look at Harbaugh, Michigan, look at Herman at Texas. I mean, you, I think we would have all said love it at the time, or maybe we did if we go back and, and, and roll the tape. I, I would have. Um, I think he'll, his relationship with the boosters will be better than what Herman's was at the end of Herman's tenure, obviously. I don't yeah. think he'll make mistakes of just so, some of like the personal relationship stakes that Herman made you know, and, and some of the stuff flipping off the Longhorn Network and just things that are kind of symbolic and uh, and and silly and un, like unforced errors that, that Herman made. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't want to say he's not going to succeed there. Um, he very well could. It's Texas. Like, you have all the resources in the world. Love it. Capital Ooh. L, love it. And the you're right, Tom, because this is where I bring up the experience, especially in comparison to Herman, because Herman came, you know, the obviously extensive, um, you know, sort of track record and path as an assistant before he was the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. But in terms of head coaching experience, he takes over Texas after just a couple years with Houston, right? I mean, the there's just a lot more lessons. What's a you, you cut a tree open, you count the rings. Like Sark's got some rings. Like he's had to go. He took over Washington when Washington was in a really bad spot. And yes, we had some some jokes with seven wins Sark uh, during his time in Seattle. And yes, his time at USC did end unceremoniously. But in terms of not only whatever he's been able to gather and soak up during his time at uh, shout out to Michael Felder, Nick Saban School for Wayward Boys in Tuscaloosa. 
Tuscaloosa. Like he also has a lot of experience running major college football programs. And I think that in that sense, especially in comparison to Herman, he is just going to be a little bit more in tune to some of that more abstract stuff, stuff that even I'm not going to be totally dialed into just because I'm, I'm not a head coach. I've never had to deal with uh, some of those problems, some of those day-to-days and, and the management uh, real side of being a, a college football coach. I think offensively, the work that he did at Alabama certainly is a, a product of, of having fantastic Alabama players, the best roster in the entire country. But I do think it also brings him as an offensive coach. I mean, we're talking about somebody who, who came up on the USC staff, right? I mean, he's, he could be stuck back in old school pro style days and, and let the game pass him by. He has shown a willingness to be able to adapt and evolve and try to find ways to to stay right on, maybe not ahead of the curve, but at least on the curve so that he is able to, to be as modern as possible. And then finally, the personal side, uh, I will admit that this is me buying in to the hope and buying into the opportunity for Steve Sarkeesian to, to have some success, to be able to have redemption's weird. That's a loaded word that I don't like, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. We're a bounce back, like a, a real professional bounce back uh, after the way things ended at USC. And I, I, that is where the, the love it part of it. I will admit that there's some emotion there. I love it for, uh, what it, what it is, what he's bringing his experience. I love it for what he showed as Alabama's offensive coordinator and Alabama's offensive coordinator, especially after the season that Alabama had, uh, that is, Regardless of who it is, that's going to be one of your top head coaching candidates for a Power Five job, and uh, and then the the personal opportunity that he has right there, love it. No pushback. Am I, am I out too strong? You're in, you're entitled to your love. Am I, am I drunk? Am I drunk on narrative right love. here? <laughs> I'm I'm already like I will not pin the flowery column that's going to be written too soon, which will be written too soon. But probably has been written. Maybe already has been written. But I will say that I'm, I'm a, I'm hopeful that that narrative is something that is not false uh, as as he takes over. Okay, that is the only Big Twelve change. Now we move into the Southeastern Conference, where uh, as as you correctly pointed out, if there is a league that is going to fearlessly move on, uh, it, it is going to be the SEC, and it comes after we already saw Missouri. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. So that means we've got what eight of the fourteen jobs have all changed have, have all changed hands in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, turnover in the in the Southeastern Conference has been wild. All right, let's start with I think this was the first one, but uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Tom. I don't get it. I, I, it was like, it was the name when, when that job first came open, it was the name that was brought up by, you know, it just kind of like a candidate. And it, right away I was like, okay, interesting. I think there are better candidates out there, but I feel like that could be like a solid backup option. But I did not get the sense from the way that search went that Beamer was a backup option as much as he was one of the, might have been the number one option for him. And maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. He's been on a lot of, he, obviously, 
he's got he's got a good bloodline for college football coaches. He's been on a lot of good staffs. He's worked under a lot of good coaches. So I I guess I I do understand all that. It's just if I'm South Carolina and I'm looking at the condition of my program, I think I would be more inclined to get somebody I feel like had a higher floor just mm-hmm. because I feel like I need, I need to raise up where I am as a program. But I would agree that Beamer probably has a higher ceiling than some of the other guys. I thought Hugh Freeze made a ton of sense for this job, but apparently, you know, there, there really wasn't a ton of interest in Freeze from the people in charge of South Carolina. But I, I, this is just not a hire to me that I'm excited about. It's a hire to me that I think is exciting. Like the fan base can talk itself into before the season starts. But I just feel like this is going to be one of those jobs where a couple of years from now, we're probably going to be looking for a new South Carolina head coach. And as our friend Barton used to put it, it pays to be a really nice guy. It does pay to be a really nice guy. Chip and I actually have a bet on this, right? Uh, I, I, I believe you. Chip, what, what's the actual bet? It's uh, that both, uh, both Josh Heupel and Shane Beamer will make it to the end of their the first, their first car- contract. Yeah. 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 I'm feeling pretty good about, about that one still. Um, so I'm going to go with don't get it as well. Um, now I have read the, the rationale. I understand why they targeted Shane Beamer. They think that, you know, he was part of the Spurrier recruiting machine when they were getting Jadavion Clowney and, and, and all those guys. Um, but I, I don't think that's replicable for a number of reasons. <laughs> they were coming to play for Spurrier, not Shane Beamer. <laughs> and they're not there anymore the players in the state. I actually, I, I did some research on this. Uh, that, that like three-year period was 150% more talented than any three-year average since, right? Like that was just a like unicorn event in the state of South Carolina that you also, like not only that you got those guys, but that those guys were even in your state in those quantities. And so it's like, congrats. You're really good at recruiting in the state of South Carolina. That's probably good enough to go two and six in the SEC. Um, you got to be better elsewhere. And look, maybe he'll recruit well. Um, I certainly get it a little more now than, than I did when when it first was like, they're not seriously going to do this, right? But I think if that's your reaction, like they're not seriously going to do this, which is what mine was, I think you have to go with don't get it. Um, I, I I think there were better candidates out there. Uh, so we'll see what South Carolina does. But I, I think Tom's right as far as the ceiling. Like this is definitely a high variance hire. He could totally bomb. He could succeed fairly well, but I, I also wonder what success looks like in South Carolina pays to be a nice guy, but that doesn't mean I have to get it. Uh, also give it a, don't get it. We turn our attention in the sec East to Nashville, Tennessee, where um, I'm going to go, go ahead and say Clark Lee. I love it, but I don't get the staff hires. I don't get Clark Lee's staff hires at all. Um, I, they, he is just getting guys with no other experience you know, just plucking them out from, uh, you know, plucking them out from the you know, podcast world and deciding to give them full time jobs with the university. Um, but realistically, uh, Clark Lee, Nashville native, Vanderbilt alum, has done a fantastic job with uh, Notre Dame's defense, but also every single time he was made available for press conferences or anything else does a great job of presenting a plan. Uh, I, I am biased. I'll go ahead and get the ball rolling on this. I'm going to say Clark Lee, especially for Vanderbilt. um, Pretty perfect fit. Love it. I like it. Not going to love it. 
Mr. Steele, your co-host, but <laughs> I, I, I like it. I think it makes all the sense in the world for Vanderbilt. I mean, he's an alum. He's played there. He's somebody who has a passion for the program and who wants Vanderbilt football to be something other than the team the rest of the SEC looks at on their schedule and says, well, there's our win. He want, he, he He's somebody who understands the town, the city. He understands the potential of what they could do for the program. So to hire somebody to come in with that kind of, you know, just not plan, but the vision and the passion to make it succeed at a place that he cares about, I think that's a very good move. And I think that of the potential candidates and there are other good candidates out there, I think that is what puts him over the top. So I like it. But again, I can't love it because he stole our co <laughs> So on my scale, just the love it, get it, don't get it. I got to go with get it. Um, And the reason is because I've already on record as saying what I thought Vanderbilt should do on the Barton and Bud podcast, (laughs) you know, like two months ago. Uh, And my thought was that Vanderbilt, because we know that recruiting rankings really accurately predict what you will be on defense, much more than they do on offense, your ability to play above and beyond what you recruit is primarily – what can you do on offense? So I thought Vanderbilt you know, really should have considered looking offensive. And if they did go defense, and I think there's a pretty good argument for going defense with Clark Lee because he, you know, he knows the city because you know he's he's from there because he understands the town and how to recruit to the culture. I I certainly get that. Um, can they be different enough on offense? I think Vanderbilt has to be a special prep. Right? You are going to have. Even, even if Barton knocks it out of the park, they're never going to have top half talent in the East, mm-hmm. right? They're always going to have bottom third talent if you compare it to the rest of the league, just based on who you can get in there. I think if you want to try to get to bowls at Vanderbilt, you need to go 4-0 and in the non-conference every year, and you need to steal some wins. And I think the way you, you have to do that primarily is that you catch teams sleeping, right? It's like, oh, Vanderbilt sucks. We won't prep from that hard this week. Hey, you know what? Fendi does some stuff that's actually pretty unique on offense that we didn't prep for quite as hard. We didn't take them quite as seriously. And then, oh, it's not like we can just flip the switch and play harder. It's, oh, shoot, we didn't take our prep this week quite as hard. So I'm really interested to see how different Vanderbilt can be on offense because I think Clark Lee is a tremendous defensive coach, and, and I'll buy that he can get them to play somewhat above their recruiting rankings on defense. But we know, like, the facts are the facts. Bill Connolly's numbers prove this out every year. You are pretty much on defense what you recruit. It's height, weight, speed, hustle, you know, with few exceptions. Will How different can you be on offense? Have a fullback on his offense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're going, what, kind of air raid? Because they, they got Cliff's guy in mm-hmm. there. I, I had his name written down on my, where my sheet went. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll give it, I, I get it. If I was going to use like the like it, love it scale, I guess I would go like it. But so I'll, I'll say get it. There, Clark Lee was with, Dave Clawson at Wake Forest early in that process. Um, and, and I accuse, uh, I apologize. I've taken this uh, to Wake Forest again. I'm getting chastised for bringing up Wake Forest too much on this podcast, but is that, is there a development path that you can take where defensively you are like your height, spate, height, weight, speed, hustle, and granted like weight is part of development as you build out these bodies to be able to make them better. Because when I think about the way the system really worked at Notre Dame, like the dudes would become stars, but it, they would become stars when they were seniors. 
And it was because they kind of got this get old and stay old mentality on that side of the ball, really focus on player development. And I, I wonder, do you think that that is a path that you can take where you are able to exceed your raw talent rankings and ratings a little bit on the defensive side of the ball? I think so. I mean, he. I, I. I think he's shown that that developmental ability. That that's why I'm I'm giving a, a, and I get it. You know, I I think if you hired any other defensive coach other than Clark Lee, I would probably give it and I don't get it. You know, because like you just had that guy with a really great track record on defense tried out defense people, didn't work. Yeah. I, I I think it's possible. Auburn made a move on Gus Malzahn, and after a a long coaching search twists with turns we got Bo Jackson on the search committee again we got you know uh, entertaining all kinds of you know rumors and and man uh, like like is Lane Kiffin gonna leave Ole Miss for Auburn and and you know it's just had so much in the pot and then it's it's Boise State's Brian Harson, which okay all right Brian Harson's done a pretty good job at, at Boise State don't really know what his, uh, his, his connections are to Auburn, but I remember on our uh, emergency podcast, it, it sort of got met with a lot of just nodding. Yeah, sure, he's a, he's a good football coach. Good football coach. Yeah, he, he might be okay. Let's see what staff he hires. And certainly a lot of the hires that he's made to that staff are coaches with SEC connections, coaches that uh, we assume will help him be able to establish a recruiting footprint um, in a way that will make up for whatever inexperience that he has in the in the region. Brian Harson, um, uh, I'll, I'll throw this one back to you, Bud. Uh, what kind of grade did you give it? I gave it a, a get it. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily an upgrade over Gus, but I also, you know, look, I respect your option to throw around a lot of money if you're just tired of tired of something and, and want to have some change. Uh, like we know the reasons that that Auburn fired Gus, they, their recruiting was slipping a little bit. They were not competitive in the state of Georgia. They were worried that you know they were losing Mobile area a little more. That Clemson was coming in and winning recruiting battles against them in places that they normally would win some battles. Um, but like this was probably like some of the people who were involved with this were trying to get Kevin Steele installed as the head coach, and and then trying to get uh, Travis Williams to be the eventual head coach down the line. Uh, it was sort of this whole Auburn grand plan thing and it fell apart. So like, let's not pretend like this was an obvious option who they had to go get for, for that reason. I can't give it a love it. I also not convinced it's an upgrade, but unlike what South Carolina did, Brian Harson's a proven competent head coach who I think has a high floor and decent upside there. Is he going to run down Nick Saban or Kirby smart? I highly doubt it, but I get it. I like it. And I, I think of, I like it for a lot of the things you just said is I think that it is a considering and maybe this is maybe this went into my grading process, considering the thought of like the whole Kevin Steele coup taking yeah, over. Thank you for mentioning that. I should have mentioned it in the in the intro when I because I was like I was taking my notes. I was like, this had lots of twists and turns. It was a really dramatic search. The dramatic search is that a high powered booster had laid out a plan of the way this thing was going to go. And it was foiled. It was incredible. Yeah. So for as dramatic as the search seemed for it to end on like what I feel like is a stable, reasonable, good football coach and not some crazy stuff. I give it a like it because I do think Brian Harson is a good football coach, but I do think that the concerns are like you were talking about, but there's 
we don't know. He hasn't coached in the SEC. He hasn't coached at his job. He took over a Boise State program that was in pretty good condition, and he maintained it. And it was starting to slip a little bit, according to fans, people close to the program. They, they had concerns going forward. But I, from the outside, from my view, things looked like Boise State to me. And I think that if he could just kind of bring that solid kind of just consistent floor, because the thing is with Gus, like – there were all those concerns about the recruiting and stuff. But to me, the other concern about Auburn was you bring in Gus, who is supposed to be the offensive guru. But in the last few years, we have seen Auburn's offense become secondary to its defense as the offense has slipped. And I feel like if your head coach is an offensive guru and he has a better defense than he does offense, that's a problematic sign to me. So I think that Harson coming in, as long as he has that good staff around him that could help him transition to living in the SEC and recruiting in the SEC and help buy him some time to get into, you know, to get his feet wet and get settled, I think this could prove to be a very solid hire with very similar results to what you were already getting, but possibly a little more consistency from year to year and a little bit better idea of knowing what you're going to get and maybe a quarterback that actually improves over his career. I like it because of how perfect to the script it is in terms of the way that we, we expect like coaching searches to work. Like this almost is uh, the way that it would play out in an NCAA football dynasty where uh, and granted ignoring that it's Boise state and the juggernaut he took over, but it's coach uh, goes wins three, uh, three conference titles in, you know, five or six years how averages about, you know, 10, 11 wins per season has about four top 25 finishes. And guess what? Now you are the top candidate to take a step up. Like this is moving up the ladder in a way that fits the traditional script. We don't always see the traditional script, especially with so many retreads and so many coaches that are able to work in the same cycle. And so for Brian Harson, like this, this is your opportunity. This is, uh, this is your chance to be able to uh, show your coaching chops per se and prove that, you know, you're not just somebody that's going to be a, a lifer where you are comfortable, that this is a, a skill set from the coaching perspective, from the program building perspective that you can take on the road. So, uh, like it, get it. And, uh, and man, I, I, I hope I don't again forget to mention the incredible uh, Kevin Steele coup of uh, of 2020. All right, I'm going to throw this out there since we just finished the SEC. No, we still got Tennessee. Oh well, you want to throw it out there anyway? I'll I'll, I'll wait. Okay. (laughs) Well, now I'm only going to be thinking about what it's going to be. Yeah, what's it going to be? Hey, hey, here we go. Josh Heupel, don't get it. All right, go. (laughs) You don't get it. I get it. And I think this, but you've mentioned this when we first did like the emergency reaction kind of podcast of this, like I get it in the sense that Danny white comes from UCF coming into a very tumultuous situation in the Tennessee athletic department. And I don't think Josh Heupel, like, you know, when it comes to coaching searches, there's so much you hear from different people, different sources. You never know what's true. What's just agent talk, pushing their client, what's going on. But even saying that we never really 100% know, I think it is safe to say that Josh Heupel was not Danny White's number one choice to follow him to Knoxville from UCF to take over that program. But I think that Tennessee right now is a job that is probably not going to be that attractive to a lot of the coaches that would have been Danny White's top choices. So I think Heupel, he kind of knew, he's familiar with him. 
he obviously believes in him. He hired him at UCF. So he kind of had him there. It's like, all right, I'm going to swing for the fences with these guys. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to bring in the guy I know. So I get it. But like you've mentioned, Bud, that this is a kind of a perfect situation for Tennessee and for Danny White, where they could spend the next few years just trying to clean up the mess. And if Heupel starts winning games and everything's working out, awesome. That is a dream scenario. Now Heupel's your coach. If it doesn't, maybe Heupel just helps you kind of clean things up a little bit so that way the job is more attractive in a three or four years from now when it's time to find a you know somebody else to take over. So I get it. I don't think Josh Heupel is a home run hire. I think he's a solid hire. I think he has a chance to win. I don't think he has a. I, I don't have a lot of faith in Josh Heupel turning Tennessee into an SEC East dynamo. Yeah, I, I get it as well. I think you have to agree these on a curve, right? Um, I mean, if if Texas had hired Josh Heupel, I would have said I don't get it. But if you're Tennessee in this situation, I very much get it, right? I think I would have given Danny White a love it, right? Like the hire okay. of Danny White is a love it. I think the hire of Danny White is a long-term hire. I would expect Danny White, as my bet with Chip indicates, will have to make another hire, you know, in the next four or five years. Um, Josh Heupel is reasonably competent. He will score some points, probably sell some tickets. Uh, but look, Denny White and Josh Heupel didn't kneecap Tennessee. Tennessee did that to themselves. So I, 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 I can't give a don't get it personally for that because I'm pretty sure other guys didn't want this job. It's not that desirable when you have the NCAA sword potentially hanging over you. Do you think that when Josh Heupel was hired by UCF, were you excited by it? Because I wasn't coming out of offensive coordinator Josh Heupel thinking that uh think thinking that that was like ooh here we here we go he's been he's been tearing it up there i mean there's this is still the the Josh Heupel who like lost his job back in 2014 at Oklahoma where that Oklahoma offense in the early part of the decade had fallen off from the Sam Bradford era and it was pre-Lincoln where things really took off again and i I think that it, you can say get it, especially with the Danny White connection. But um, I don't, I, I don't know that the the Josh Heupel, Missouri offensive coordinator, has done anything to erase concerns uh, or at least a, a lack of belief or faith. And I don't know that UCF head coach Josh Heupel has uh, has thrown me anything to to have me a hundred percent on board either. Yeah, I can't remember what my grade was exactly, but I know when we were looking at it the other week when we were going over this stuff, I think I gave Hypel at UCF like a C plus just because, yeah, I, I thought UCF was a more desirable job than taking the OC from Missouri, Missouri at the time. That's fair. Uh, so here's what I was going to throw out. Appearances in the SEC title game for these four coaches at their current jobs over the course of their career at these jobs over under – one and a half. Under. Yeah. Excited. That, that's probably a bad number. That's all right. We'll, we'll put that on the board for Tom. That's probably a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I should have said one. Well, then then you still got to go under and, and hope for a push that you, you might get one from Brian Harson. Is that the, the way that you, I you think probably run that math? Yeah. 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 And, and this is where like over the course of their career, Harson's starting a couple laps behind Jimbo. 
Like even if you want to look ahead to the post Saban era in the West, I think I think Jimbo's running uh, a couple laps ahead right there. It's gonna be it's gonna very quickly become uh, tough to close that gap as well. But Gus Malzahn did it, so uh, he was able to prove that uh, it can be done. Coming up on the other side, there is a coach who's bringing that big energy back to Champagne. We're going to get into him and the rest of the coaching changes next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I was once again um, blinded by my my joy for the just sort of the energy around uh, this hire right here. I gave a capital L, love it, to Brett Bielema at Illinois. He has been a beloved, yes, beloved character in the college football universe. Um, and in uh, him being there in the Big Ten West uh, at Illinois, I think is very interesting. And uh, and Tom, I, I know that you, you're very very connected and understand the, the many things that have happened since the hire can, is, is it, was it love it initially and still love it? Like how's, Hey, how are you grading this as we sit here in mid February? Like it initially, like it now. Like I think that I, I just, I think it's a smart, sensible, reasonable hire for Illinois after the experiment they tried with Lovey Smith, where it was, all right, let's, let's really swing for the fences with something kind of crazy and wild. And Lovey Smith came in and he helped, he did a lot to help kind of put a new foundation down. He helped with raising money to put in like their new facilities that they have. But I think that they kind of just hit a wall with that staff and the lack of experience and just, you know, networking that they had within the, within the college football landscape to really push further forward. So now it makes a ton of sense to me that you hire a coach who has experience within your division experience at a winning program you're trying to emulate 
experience in the SEC where he had some success and he also failed in the end in that he lost his job, but he learned a lot from that job. So that kind of experience helps him kind of help mold him into what he wants to do or what he needs to fix, what he can do, what he can't do. And I think you also have a coach who is excited to be back at the college level, because if you, you, you listen to his press conferences since he's taken the job, like he enjoyed the time in the NFL, but Brett Bielema is a college coach and he has wanted to get back into college. It's what he enjoys doing. So I think when you look at all that, you look at the experience, you look at the knowledge he has, you look at the coaching staff he's hired, which is a very knowledgeable coaching staff and a very experienced coaching staff. I mean, I think he's got like three or four, you know, former or current defensive coordinators that he hired from other staffs to take over on his team. I think offensively he's taken, you know, he brought in Tony Peterson, who has had success at multiple schools at different levels, G5 and P5, and including success in the in the Big Ten when he was at Minnesota during the Marion Barber and the thousand yard rusher days of all those guys. So I feel like the floor for this hire at the program of Illinois is raised considerably than where it was now. Are they going to be competing for division titles and going to Indianapolis playing for conference titles? I don't know. There's a lot of work left that still needs to get there. But I think that for where Illinois can realistically be compared to where it has been for most of the last couple of decades, I think this is a very, very good hire for him. So I like it. I'll, I'll stick with get it here. Um, I I think the reasons that Tom just laid out make a lot of sense, right? When he first got hired, I was like, man, I don't know if I get this one, uh, but digging into a little more, I've, I've kind of come around on it some. Um, my major concern here is that he's going to try to play bully ball against a bunch of teams that have better talent than he does. And we saw how well that worked out at Arkansas. It just, it didn't, right? It, it resulted in a lot of third and seven. It, has he learned from that? Like, are they willing to be a little bit more different? Um, or does he think because of his Midwest recruiting connections that he can get, you know, a enough talent there to play his style, which he might be able to do, and then consistently go to bowl games, which, I mean, I'm not an Illinois fan. I'm guessing that's kind of the goal is, like, consistently go to bowls. Just don't be embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's sort of the Kentucky deal, right? Like, Hoops mm-hmm. is first, football second. Please give us something to watch that's okay in the offseason for basketball. right? I, I, at least as far as I I mean, run again. the ball, keep it close. That's one way to keep games entertaining. I mean, yeah, my, my, my read of Illinois fans, as far as the football fans of the school are concerned, is like, yeah, basketball is probably always going to be the number one thing at Illinois. But just for football, it's like, give us a couple things to be happy about every season. I don't think any, no Illinois fans sitting here thinking, oh, we're going to win. We're going to compete with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Like, nobody has that as their objective. It's like, dude, just can we get some seven, eight win seasons? And maybe once in a while we spring up and, you know, win a division title or something. You know, the Northwestern Iowa, Wisconsin model is all Illinois fans want. So there are 16 Big Ten rivalry trophies. Illinois specifically is involved with three of them. The Land of Lincoln Trophy, Illabuck, which is a fantastic trophy, and the Purdue Cannon. I am so sad that we don't have an Illinois-Wisconsin trophy. And what can it be when Brett Bielema faces the program that he led to high, high points and peaks? in the Because in, the, the Badgers don't have a national championship in the entire program history. So those seasons that Bielema had at Wisconsin, uh, some of the most successful in, in the program history 
What would be a good rivalry trophy for Illinois, Wisconsin? A white bass. A white bass. <laughs> That's specific, and I love it. Let's just go. Feel like you, you could find them in lakes and rivers in both states. <laughs> <laughs> the white bass trophy. You heard it here first on Cover Three. All right, one more Power it's Five. Very Big Ten. Yes, very Big Ten. <laughs> one more uh, Power Five change. Kevin Sumlin out at Arizona. Jed Fish hired. I just like even even beyond. Don't get it. Just uninspired. A real wet sandwich of a hire for me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's weird because this is what I feel like of the power five jobs. This was the one that kind of just, I don't, I, I know Jed fish. I know his name. I've heard his name floated for all sorts of jobs in the last few years. I've seen him, you know, as members of staffs at Michigan at UCLA, he's been in the NFL. He has all that experience. It's just, I don't feel like I, even knowing all that, I don't feel like I know anything about Jed fish. And I just think that when, when Arizona makes the hire, this is, this is an absolute wild card to me. So I'm going with don't like it just because I don't know enough really to have a solid, coherent opinion. And I know that's not what we're supposed to do in this industry, but that's just <laughs> God's honest truth. I'm going to say don't get it. Uh, from like some of the earlier reports, it seems one of his major uh, selling points was that he's tight with the president which I'm not really sure helps you that much on, on Saturdays. The uh, United the States trail. president? No, with, no, the school president. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you were tight with, with, with the U.S. president, that, that actually might help you some. Um, and yet, I do think he's an upgrade from the version of Kevin Sumlin they got. So I, I'm going to kind of straddle this. I, I don't get it. I don't really – he wasn't really on my radar when they were looking for people. Not that I was super clued into the Arizona coaching search, but – it doesn't stand out as something that is, is obviously makes sense. Could happen. I know he's coached out there. What was it? UCLA for a while. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I mean, he's bounced around a, a whole lot. He was at Miami. I think he was at Michigan, some NFL stuff, but I still don't get it. Uh, and yet I think he'll be an upgrade. Yeah. Like to me, when like the Arizona job came open, like Brent Brennan made a lot of sense to me as a possible option. I, I don't know if there was just no interest there, if they just weren't interested or what it was just, I felt like, Although it could also be that after getting Kevin Sumlin and having that it fail pretty spectacularly for them, maybe they just didn't want to go. And, you know, before that it was Rich Rod. Maybe they just said, you know what, we're done hiring former Power 5 head coaches and giving them second or third chances or whatever. Let's let's find the next big thing. And maybe they talked themselves into thinking Jed Fish is the next big thing. And maybe he is. I mean, you could have gone back to Ken Niamatololo. Like, that could have been there for you. Khalil Tate. Yeah, Khalil Tate is not there to uh, to block the hire. Brett Brennan from San Jose State had just led a, one of the best seasons in program history for the Spartans. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 down for a don't get it for Jed Fish. Uh, we just talked about this one. Happened earlier in the week. UCF, Gus Malzahn, it's the only job that changed hands in the American. Love it. A upgrade from Josh Heupel, in my opinion. And uh and if Gus does want to stay there for a little while, then it, it's going to end up paying off. But I, I think the Knights are, are in a pretty good spot right now. I'm kind of meh. Like, I agree. It is an upgrade over Hypo. I think Melzahn's done a lot. It's just, as I kind of was alluding to earlier with his time at Auburn, 
like the shine on Gus Malzahn offensive guru has kind of worn off for me. Like if you look at his time at Auburn, like the one year that he was, you know, the offensive coordinator with Cam Newton as quarterback, Auburn scored 41 points per game, led the SEC. Then in his first year as head coach in 2013, they scored 40 points a game about were second in the SEC. But since then, as far as just points per game are concerned, Auburn's finished fourth, eighth, sixth, fourth, eighth, tied for third, and ninth in the SEC as far as points per game. So when I think of UCF and I think of all these super explosive offenses, maybe Gus will be able to go to Orlando and do what he'd been trying to do at Auburn, and it'll work a lot better in the American than it was working in the SEC for him. That is very much a possibility. It's just it's hard for me to be super excited about this hire while also, again, maintaining that I do think it is an upgrade over what they had. So it's just one of those kind of weird situations for me. I, I'm hesitant to use the love it because I just feel like there's no locks in, in college ball coaching. But I, I am going to use the love it here um, for yes. this reason. I, I think Gus will, will kind of find some of that off, offensive magic again. Um, Auburn had a long-term kind of offensive line issue that they were struggling to fix via the JUCOs and, and some – some guys getting hurt, some developmental stuff, and Bo Nix hasn't hit for him yet. We'll see what what Brian Harson can do with Nix. But I, I really think Gus Malzahn can coach. And I also think that he can be sort of the resource hound that UCF – like he can go to UCF and say, hey, you guys want to joke about this national championship and all this other bull right? Like you guys – if you guys really want to compete and you want to get to that next level, and if you want to get to a Power 5 conference – like, this is how we do it, right? Like, we spend this much money in recruiting. I'm not talk, talking about dropping bags. I'm talking about, like, having this many analysts on staff, ha, ha, you know, subscribing to all these different recruit, recruiting uh, services, all, all these different things. I think he can kind of kind of browbeat them a little bit and say, hey, this is what it's going to take. This is the kind of spending. Like, you, you boosters, you want to talk about how high pressure of a job this is? You want to talk about getting to the next level and, and how you're, you're P6 and all this stuff? Well, guess what? The P6 ain't real. So we're, if we want to get to a P5, this is how we do it. Let's open up the wallets. And I do think that that for UCF alone, getting those boosters to, to you know, donate more and more, it's a growing school. I, I think that's a big part here. Um, Gus Malzahn really helped guide a lot of Jordan Hare and facility renovations, like fundraise and sort of lead them, right? Which is weird because in press conferences, he is about as boring and dull as, as he can be. But I think in one-on-one situations, maybe a little better. Cause I was there at Jordan Hare in 2018, I think, and it looked—I mean, it, it looked like things were were upgraded recently, at least around the bowels and in the team, the family, like like all those areas in the tunnel where all the recruits and the recruits' families are. Like all that stuff looked like it had been uh, upgraded in upgraded in recent years. Uh, I am also there with the love it. Um, two changes in the mountain West. First one, Boise state, former Boise state linebacker, former defensive coordinator, defensive coach, uh, Andy Avalos comes over from Oregon. He first, uh, joined Mario Cristobal's staff working for Jim Levitt. Jim Levitt leaves. He's promoted Oregon's defense. is pretty good. You know, pretty, pretty solid defense. And, uh, I don't know how much of that is the recruiting just because that's a, a really, really talented group that they've got from a personnel perspective. I don't have anything in my Andy and Avalos file that says he is a unique scheme defensive coach. But when, I mean, 
this seemed like they were going to be making the alumni hire no matter what way they they broke it, right? I mean, it was either going to be Andy Avalos or Kellen Moore. They end up going with Avalos. Uh, I get it. I, I get it. I don't necessarily love it or like it. I'm not, I'm not rushing with a bunch of enthusiasm. I think he inherits a lot of expectation and I, you know, you can lean on that alumni card for a couple years, but it'll, I think it'll be a big test to, to make sure that you're producing consistent results. I like it. I like, I, I like it with Avalos. I liked it if it would have been Kellen Moore, because I think that if you're Boise state, the blueprints in place, you know what you have to do to succeed there and you know how to do it. And I think because of that, it makes a whole lot of sense to hire somebody who played there and who coached there. So who has had a front row seat to how to have success at Boise, how to recruit. He's a California native. So he's, and he's spent a lot of time both at Oregon and Boise state recruiting that area. So it still kind of keeps those connections open to getting that talent to come North to Boise. So I, I like it. I think it's. I think this is a very solid, smart hire for the Broncos, and I think that it's probably going to help maintain them as you know the team to beat in the Mountain West going forward. I'm sort of on the fence between get it and love it. Uh, to be honest mm. here, I, I I think Kellen Moore would have been the obvious love it, but it's maybe a tad unrealistic to think that you're going to as a, as a G5 school pull the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, even if he you know was like the most famous player in your history. Um, Okay, so he's he's from he he coached at Colorado, he coached at Boise, he coached at Oregon. He understood how to you know, recruit out there. It's a different recruiting game west of the Rockies. I think he has a lot of good recruiting connections out there. And uh, if you look at it, Oregon's defense has been what has been carrying them the last two years. Their offense has oftentimes not been very good. So, uh, like he's been able to coach underrated recruit or like you know recruits that are lowly rated which Boise gets and oftentimes he has to find hidden gems he's also been able to recruit and, and coach top talented guys so I I'm I'll go with get it because he's not been a head coach before and I I'm interested to see how some of his offensive hires work out but I it's kind of like get it plus I'm 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 a fairly big fan of this yeah get never forget plus. that like to- <laughs> get it plus for five dollars a month you can get yeah. get it plus <laughs> On all your streaming services. By the way, you should follow and stream us on Spotify. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Utah State gets Blake Anderson. Uh, I like it. It was a, a situation that comes with a, a lot of, a, there's a big personal side to this for Blake Anderson as well, where I think to just being able to get a, a fresh start. I think Blake Anderson's a pretty good coach. Uh, those Arkansas State teams, while they weren't winning Sun Belt titles, they were without a doubt one of the top shelf teams in, in the Sun Belt. Uh, pretty good offensive coach, and he takes over a Utah State program that has just been. I mean, Gary Anderson just walked out on this squad. I mean, it, it feels like that whole roster has just sort of been thrown around back and forth. He gets a chance to get a fresh start. Utah State gets a chance to regain its footing. Uh, I give it a like it. I get it. I give it a get it. I, I think that I, I I think I agree. I think Blake Anderson is a good football coach, but like what you talked about, Chip, I think that this is a move that is not nearly as much about football as much as it is just, you know, life off the field. And like you said, he wanted a fresh start. I think that can't 
discount the idea that after losing his wife, what was it like a year or two ago, just getting out of Jonesboro and starting somewhere new was probably something that he felt like he needed to do just to move on. So from that, I get it. And I think that Utah State is a place where we have seen you can win at it and can have success. And, you know, Gary Anderson before part two had a lot of success there during his first time. Matt Wells was was successful enough there to turn that into the Texas tech job. And I think Blake Anderson has enough success as a head coach to think that he's going to be able to win games with the Aggies. But my concern with it is just, he does like, I know he has some experience as a coach in like New Mexico and in the Southwest, but he hasn't really been in that area in a long time. So I don't know how tight his connections are out there. So, from somebody who has spent most of his coaching career more in the Southeast and Southwest of like Texas, New Mexico to go to Utah, to be in a conference he hasn't coached in and with, you know, facing a bunch of teams he's not really used to facing. I think that there could be an adjustment period and I don't know about the fit because of that. So that could be a problem, but I do think that if we're just basing this off of football coaching, I think Utah state upgraded. I'm going to give it an I love it. I, I actually nice. like some of these G5 hires better than the P5s, uh, and, and my, my rationale is this. Under normal circumstances, Utah State cannot pull a coach anywhere near as proven as Blake Anderson. I mean, before the weird 2020 season, which I'll pretty much throw out, he took Arkansas State to what, six straight bowls. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he you know, they, they, they won or tied for the conference or, or, or their division three times, had another second two third place finishes. I, the guy can coach. He runs an exciting offense. Like, like this is much better. I think than, than Gary Anderson who you know quit yet again this year, um, li- leaving his coaching staff out to dry and looking for jobs as, as Godfrey pointed out on Twitter um, yet again. I, I think this is a really nice hire for them. Um, Tom's point about recruiting out West. I definitely think is valid. I will note that Arkansas state under Anderson has recruited Texas some, and I would expect that they would continue to recruit Texas uh, while at Utah State. Uh, granted, it's a little harder to get kids to go out to Logan. Utah to Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I guess I would be more concerned if they were a school that was super reliant on kids from Florida, mm-hmm. you know, because then that's even farther away. But he does have some connections there sort of in the, you know, the, the central part of the country. On to Conference USA, where Marshall lands Charles Huff off of Alabama's staff. Charles Huff's been a fantastic recruiter. He was the running backs coach. He was also a great recruiter uh, for Marshall. The, uh, I'm going to give this a love it because I'm excited about what Charles Huff can do. There's just been so much positive momentum uh, around him as an assistant that getting the keys to a program with the history like Marshall, I'm excited about that. Now, my love it is separated from comparing him to Doc Holliday, where his ouster comes um, amidst some even like political drama within the the state of West Virginia and within the the Marshall community where university president, athletic director, and the governor uh, apparently did not all see eye to eye on this. So I'm, I'm separating that from my grade because I think Doc Holliday did a great job. And if I was in charge of Marshall, I would not have gotten Doc Holliday out of there. However, I'm excited about seeing Charles Huff have the opportunity as a head coach. And so I'm going to give it the love it. I don't like it, but it's got nothing to do with Charles Huff. It's got everything to do with the decision to move on from Doc Holliday because that is a decision to me that didn't really make a ton of sense. And as far as Huff is concerned, I get what's interesting and what's appealing about him. I mean, first of all, he's young. He's an excellent recruiter. So he's going to bring a kind of energy to the program that maybe they felt was slipping and they needed to reinvigorate. 
but I just have a hard time saying like we've a lot of these grades we've talked about. Have you upgraded? Have you downgraded? Charles Huff could be an upgrade on Doc Holliday in the long run. But right now, based on what we know, I can't consider this an upgrade over what you already had. So because of that, I'm giving it a don't like it. And while I understand that Charles Huff has been a fantastic recruiter, he hasn't been recruiting to Marshall. Like it's it's going to be different trying to convince those kids to come to Marshall than it was to come to Alabama and other places. So I think it has a chance because of his recruiting acumen to work out very well for Marshall in Conference USA to increase the talent of that team and maybe increase its ceiling and raise the floor at the same time. It's just based off what I know now, I I hope it works. I just didn't understand the move to get rid of Doc Holliday to begin with. I. Yeah, I, I do think we kind of have to group them try together. Try to separate because obviously, like nobody thinks that Charles Huff is a more proven or better coach right now than Doc Holliday. Uh, I think that Huff could work out there. So I, after their decision to fire Doc Holliday, which I don't think was very very smart, um, after that was made, I, I get why they would go with the hire of Huff. Marshall, geographically, it's a tough place to recruit to. Uh, but academically, it's a, a very favorable place to recruit to. You can get some kids to Marshall with like some creative ways, right? The, 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 there's some stuff you can do that Marshall can, can find a way to get some kids in that maybe some other schools can't. And that, that's a big deal. If, if Huff can use his connections to get talent there, um, I, I guess my, one of my concerns there would be as a first-time head coach, you know, who is he hiring for back office staff and support staff? Like, is he able to pluck a lot of guys from Bama? What, what sort of connections does he have there? Because th- those are some of the things – that do on the margins make or break a hire. And I, I wonder about some of his connections there, just, you know, based on some of the moves so far. Uh, wrapping up conference USA, Southern miss hires, Will Hall offensive coordinator under Willie Fritz at Tulane. Uh, sure. Fine. I get it. I like, I, I like Willie Fritz as an offensive coach. I like Willie Fritz's offenses. Tulane's really fun because it's not totally triple option in a service academy style, but it is a little bit modernized. Run, run out of the shotgun. Uh, it can be a lot of fun, but man, Southern Miss is just uh, the ups and downs that that program has been through. Sh- sure. I don't know what, I don't know what they could have gotten in terms of trying to lure somebody to Hattiesburg. So, uh, yeah, I'm fine. I get it. I like it. I I like it. I, I, I think the Will Hall's offenses are interesting. And because of that Southern miss becomes a lot more interesting to me to watch now. So I think from that sense, that's a good move. And I also think that Southern miss, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Southern miss was like one of the better, you know, group of five, although it wasn't known as that at the time, but like, programs in the country i think there's plenty of potential for southern miss to you know start getting back to being a good team particularly in the conference usa and i think that will hall bringing his kind of kind of fun exciting offense might be the right path to do it so i i like this hire i'm gonna give it a love it i i think this is absolutely about the best that that southern miss can do he's had to be creative with his offenses as as tom and chip noted he also, like, look at where Will Hall has recruited th- throughout basically his entire cycle. I mean, okay, so Southwest Baptist, I'm actually not sure where that is, but that was that was in 06. Arkansas, Monticello. There are 13 Southwest Baptists. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's a lot. Uh, th- this is going to be producer Coca, real challenge here. Uh, w- West Alabama, that's pretty close to Sutter Miss. 
uh, West Georgia still w- within the footprint, Louisiana as the OC, Memphis, again, I mean, a, a border state to Mississippi, Tulane obviously recruited the hell out of the Gulf Coast, and now Southern Miss. Like, creative on offense, young up-and-comer, wanted the job. We know he that other schools that maybe were going to make a, a move the following year, you know, so after 2021, would have had interest in Will Hall and knows the recruiting area. I, I, I think this is – look, it's not a guarantee it's going to work, but this is about as good as, as Southern Miss could have asked for, I think. Nice. Especially because money-wise, I mean, they, weren't they pretty kind of sketchy money-wise a couple years ago and some coaches were worried like if, if their bonus yeah. checks were going to come on time and stuff? Like they're, they're not flush with cash. I mean, that, that might be why, uh, why, why coaches are leaving. You know, right? Yeah, I would uh, think so. Okay. Didn't have to buy a plane ticket to interview since you could just do it on Zoom. That was a huge, huge bonus. Uh, all right. Finally, we take it to the Sun Belt. A couple of former head coaches uh, highlight this one. We start with Arkansas State, which, of course, uh, Blake Anderson's out to Utah State. And they go to Tuscaloosa to Nick Sa- the Nick Saban School of Wayward Boys. They don't even take a, a position coach here. We go straight, bypass that room, onto the analyst room, and here comes Butch Jones. Now, you know, Butch Jones has uh, the success from Central Michigan, you know, Grand Valley State. He's uh, he sort of came up in that, in that same line. Uh, so as he takes back over as head coach for the first time since he was um, – complimenting five-star hearts and awarding the champions of life uh, to, to everybody on the Vols. What do we think about Butch Jones at Arkansas State? I think I get it. And I'm going to be interested to see how it works because I think that if we look at Butch Jones at Tennessee, you're kind of like, what the hell are you doing hiring Butch Jones? But if we look at Butch Jones and his first two gigs as, as at group of five schools, he took over at Central Michigan from Brian Kelly did well then he followed brian kelly at cincinnati did well. did well two programs that had kind of been established and things had been put in place took over at tennessee a program that was not in a good place when he took over and he had a difficulty maintaining it he started building it up but it just thinks you know it's tennessee things completely fell apart just like things have completely fallen apart for every tennessee coach over the last however many decades at this point but now he's going to an Arkansas State job. Again, a group of five job. We just talked about Blake Anderson and the job he did at Arkansas State. Again, he's taking over a group of five job where there is a solid foundation in place. I think Butch could be successful at Arkansas State. To me, it makes sense from that kind of perspective. I'm going to use get it here uh, yet again because I, I understand why they did it. I think it makes sense. Really, Tom hit on pretty much all my points. The one thing I want to point out is that basically everything that Chip listed off for his notoriety at Tennessee, uh, by the way, Coca comes here, Southwest Baptist is a D2 school in Missouri. So, you know, fairly close to Mississippi-ish. I mean, like kind of in the same area. They're SEC now, of course. Hell yeah, yeah. Coca. The state of Missouri, not uh, not Southwest Baptist. Um, almost all the negative stuff that Chip listed off from Tennessee was stuff that Butch Jones said. His teams weren't terrible. He just he was a guy who cared a lot about what the press thought of him. He read his press clip like press clippings. We know that for sure. And he just said a lot of silly dumb stuff that in a city like Knoxville, which is absolutely a pressure cooker because there's nothing else to do there and there's really no pro sports that are real nearby, you, you got to be somewhat smart with what you say. 
And so champions of life. And I, I guess the, the trash can on, on the sideline was, was silly, uh, but he's had decent success elsewhere. So I, I, I get it. Um, Terry Bowden at ULM. I both don't get it and love it at the same time. I'm on both ends of the spectrum. And that's just because he's uh, he's football royalty. And uh, if it's anything like what happened at Akron, he's just going to roll through the Rolodex and we'll see all the other former names and faces of previous decades of college football pop up there. See, I love it. This is the only hire I love. This is, I think if you're ULM and you look at what Terry Bowden has done, like Akron, Akron's the only school he's ever left so far with a losing record, but the Akron program he took over was an absolute mess. And then he went one and 11 in his first year. And then he built it up a couple five and seven seasons, took Akron to a bowl game in 2015 after going eight and five, they went to another bowl game in 2017. And then after 2018, they let him go and they bring in Tom Arth. And what has Akron done since firing Terry Bowden? It has gone back to being a one win team or maybe even a winless team. He raised the floor of that program considerably. Right now, what ULM needed was somebody who at least knows how to make a competent football program and build a competent football program. And Terry Bowden has shown already he knows how to do that. And he's brought in Rich Rod. And you're going to see, I don't think ULM is going to be sitting here winning Sunbelt titles at any point in the next couple of years, but I can't rule it out. And I think that he is going to greatly improve this condition of the program and at least put it in a position where how old is Terry Bowden? Now he is 60, 64. So maybe Rich Rod is kind of like a coach in waiting already. Who knows? Like they couldn't hire Rich Rod because the baggage stuff, Mm -hmm. like to be the head coach, but you can kind of get him in there as the OC. Yeah. So maybe a few years from now when Terry Bowden is done and kind of approaching retirement, you're in a much better position with your program to either promote Rich Rod if things are working out or to find somebody else to come in and take it over. I think it's a great hire. I love it. Man, Tom is like trying to trying to drag me into saying get it because I was going to be in the don't get it category. I Fine, I get it. Tom convinced me. All right, <laughs> I, I I get it. Like he can produce reasonably competent teams at places that are really tough to win, like Akron. Um, I, I I can't be with the love it though. I um. Hey, that's I'm entertainment. I've told you, I've put my heart into this. I've done entertainment factor. Uh, all right, and finally, South Alabama hires Indiana defensive coordinator Kane Womack. Indiana has been a very good defensive team. A lot of that, I believe, has come from the the Tom Allen ethos, but uh, Kane Womack, at the age of 33, one of the youngest coaches now in college football. Uh, I, I, I say get it, but some of my get it is with excitement because I think South Alabama can be a program where Kane Womack can do good things with some time to build. I like it. I, I, I liked Indiana's defense and I like what Tom, you know, Allen has done at Indiana with like the kind of culture that he has created. And I think that, you know, Kane Womack, yeah, you're right. He's only 33, but he does have experience at South Alabama. He spent a couple of years there as the defensive coordinator going to, before going to Indiana to be the linebackers coach. But he has gotten a very good firsthand view of Tom Allen's building that program and building that culture. So he kind of has help in that kind of blueprint. And now he's going to try to bring that to South Alabama to help build a because this is still a very young, as far as you know, FBS level, a very young program to try to help kind of put in a foundation. I think that this is somebody who has a who could turn out to be good. And plus at only 33. Maybe this becomes, you know, something that he helps build and he's there for a while. And then maybe eventually he moves on to a power five gig. But if you're South Alabama and you find yourself at a point where Kane Womack is attracting power five interest, 
that means great things have been happening for you. I get it. Um, I mean, the, he's very young, not super experienced, but his entire career has been spent in and around where you have to recruit, right? He played for Arkansas. He played for Southern Miss. Then I mean, think about the areas that, that South Alabama is going to recruit, right? You're going to recruit the Gulf Coast. You're going to recruit Mississippi. You're going to recruit kind of, you know, Memphis area. You're going to go, go into, you know, Southwest Georgia some, and you got to dip into Florida some. That's basically where, where you're at. UT Martin, Jacksonville State, which is in Alabama, not Florida. Ole Miss, which I believe is when he was there with Tom Allen. Uh, Eastern Illinois, so for two years he, he was gone, but he was getting some D.C. experience. Then he was South Alabama's D.C. for two years. You know, he, he spent three seasons at Indiana under Tom Allen, who you know has done a nice job there and obviously was in the South for a lot of his career. And now he's back. So I, I get it. I, I could see this working out. Um, the lack of experience kind of keeps me from saying love it. Well, I love this. And y'all did a fantastic job. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Mailbag coming up later in the week. Remember, you can always get in with a five-star review. Leave your review. Put your question in there. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.